uh, for the the desert, right? Do you need a guide, ah? Uh? uh, yeah. So you need a guide and driver. Oh, you need a guide, ah. Uh. Hmm. Yeah, but the total cost, right? Like for the eight days, was about six hundred USD, including food, including uh, lodging uh. at night. Yeah, perpex. Oh, not bad, oh. Maybe I should yeah. plan, ah. Uh. Well, yeah, it's, it's really not bad And like It really is like Disconnected for two weeks straight Hello, hello Welcome to a new episode of Launch Bite, Where we talk about things that catch our eye Or articles that we find interesting With me is my regular co-host Brian Lee Hello and it's myself, Christopher Chai. So today we are going to be talking about motivation. We are going to be talking about uh, project management and also my most recent trip to Mongolia, plus a few other things here and there. But to start off, Brian, how have you been? I am good. And uh, I always, like, we had a earlier conversation and I was thinking, oh, how come Chris is not back yet? Oh, no, that's because <laughs> you are posting photos after you're back here. Yeah, so um, I spent a couple of weeks in Mongolia between July 8th and the 23rd. Uh, and I'm just going to say there's absolutely no connectivity when you're out in the Gobi Desert. Uh, there's no Wi-Fi to speak of. And even for cell coverage, it's like once a day kind of thing when we go to a town for lunch. So I took the opportunity to completely like disconnect myself from the internet world uh, and yeah, it was it was liberating, I guess. But at the same time, you basically saw all, all my social media accounts get dead. <laughs> <laughs> but how was it? Uh, like uh, two weeks without internet for a tech person. So how do you feel? I I'm actually okay. Like I've spent a couple of weeks or a, a full week without using stuff on the internet, and I there's a lot of stuff that I could do without that. So I downloaded a couple of ebooks and I was reading. I cleared my pocket list. I just kind of thought about, you know, how I wanted to plan stuff and all that. So, um, wasn't completely disconnected from, you know, my normal work doing things. But uh, at the same time, it was it was nice to be just uncontactable for a while. Then mm-hmm. yeah, but I think once in a while, take this kind of trip, right, where you have no internet access to, you know, kind of like how would I put it, detox. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I. Like getting out there is a whole different way of life. They're very sustainable. They're very, um, they survive on very little, which is pretty awesome. And they are very close to nature. So let's just say like a lot of conveniences that you come to expect uh, in living in modern life, right? You don't have it there. It's out in the middle of nowhere. There's no plumbing. There's very little electricity. Electricity comes from like fuel generators, essentially, that they only turn on at certain times of the day because they want to conserve how much fuel they have because the only way they get electricity is if someone brings out like gasoline or something for them to power the generators from it's it's a very different life the scenery is beautiful the kinds of things that you see we climbed a sand dune that was like 300 meters high can you imagine like sand piled so high that it takes about an hour for you to climb all the way up and it's fine sand wow yeah, challenging so. Hey, but I got a question. Yeah. So, do you stay out in the desert at night or do you go back to a hotel or how, how is it going to be? How was it? Be? Uh, so, we stayed in what are called gear camps, which are basically like their nomadic tents. Uh, it feels very much like a small room um, and there are a couple of beds in it or four beds depending on how you're sharing. And it's very comfortable. Uh, it's, it's really a very efficient tent, I would put it that way, because it's like a round shape thing. If you Google online for Gears, G-E-R, um, you'll find some pictures of it. It's what most of the nomadic families use to set up um, because they move around a lot, right, during summer and winter when they need to move with their with their livestock. So they will set it up in maybe like a couple of hours and tear it down in less time. And it's, it's insulated. It has a little chimney hole at the top for you to, uh, you know, use a charcoal stove in the middle. It has uh, a very interesting shape. It's completely round so that even if they're really strong winds, the winds get directed around it. So I was actually quite impressed at the entire engineering that went into 
this structure because it's basically two support poles and then um, a wooden kind of fence around it which they put the tent over. It's hard to describe. You better see, you're better off looking at pictures of it, but it's actually quite impressive at how strong that structure is considering how little material they used to make it. I a bit inspired already, you know, I like this kind of adventure, nomadic. And you stay out in the in the open, right? As in as in uh in the desert itself. Yeah. Camp, yeah, camp yeah. over there. So um yeah. so how about how about the you no know, toilet all this? So how do you all manage? <laughs> For guys, guys definitely no problem uh, because we yeah. went to the army before. So uh what was the alternative for tourists? There are ladies. What was their option? Well, okay, so there are two kinds. Like. So you can either stay at gear camps, which is like more touristy. They have normal Western toilets and Western showers. Or if you choose to stay with like a nomadic family, which we did for a couple of nights, um, there's no running water. So you can't really shower unless you want to go into the river, which is very cold. Or um, And for the toilet, it's basically like the toilet that you dig during field camp. Oh, wow. You know, BMT, they dig one big latrine for everyone. That's basically it. Oh. It's just one very deep hole. They'll put wooden planks across it, put wooden planks around it for a little bit of privacy, mm. and you just go. Oh. <laughs> so, um, it's it's better not to go in the middle of the day when it's warm because flies are everywhere when it's warm. Mm-hmm. But uh, at night when it's colder or in the early mornings, it's not that bad. So, yeah, <laughs> it was. It was an experience, and <laughs> so a funny thing happened, right? Because uh-huh. uh, we were all we were only going to be at the nomadic family's house for about two days, uh-huh. so I just said like, oh, yeah, just just don't do the big business uh, while okay. we were there." Okay. Um. Unfortunately, because of the diet that they have, which is very dairy, like they had milk, they had yogurt, they had fresh butter, and they even had vodka that was made out of milk. I'll tell you about that later. Um. Out of the four of us, right, mm. my three friends all had diarrhea oh. on the first day that we were there. Okay, okay. <laughs> I was the only one who was not affected by the dairy products for some reason, so I was damn lucky. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so imagine having diarrhea in that kind of, you know, toilet. It's, after all, you're just like, all right, give up. <laughs> if the urge to go is stronger than your disgust of what's underneath you, then you got to go. <laughs> yes, you got to go. You just look. Yeah. Wow, hey, very happening. So, um, you were also telling me the rough cost uh, earlier on. Uh, you were telling me. Maybe you can share with the uh, listeners. Yeah. yeah. So you can find a lot of the tour costs online uh, at tripadvisor.com and stuff like that. But the particular tour a company that we went with was uh, very cheap compared to what we saw online. Um, ended up for the eight days we spent about six hundred USD. This includes the food and the. Uh, stays at the tourist camps and um, the tour guide plus the driver, so it was it was actually quite affordable when you think about it. Yeah, so it's about six hundred USD per person for eight days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I also think eight days right inclusive of all the stuff that you tell me, uh, for six hundred worth it Especially in a place like this right where. If we go without guide, we confirm cannot survive because we don't know what yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we, we need their help. And to be honest, like, if you think about, like, if you skip on the money, it's not comfortable. We were very comfortable. Like, all these stories are kind of just um, things that you would need to deal with, even if you pay a lot. Because if you want to experience what life is for the nomadic families, then, you know, might as well spend a couple of days doing it. It's not that bad. It really isn't. Yeah. Wow. Two weeks. Hmm. Yeah. I need to plan. I need to you plan. You should definitely try it. Yeah, check it out. It'll be desert. There's also Western Mongolia tours, which are more like hiking. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, one more thing that I forgot to mention is that in some places we go quite high in terms of altitude. Uh-huh. So we went to about two thousand to two thousand three, I think, uh, meters above ground. Oh wow! Okay, okay. Was it ten meters? Hey, how yeah. about your footwear? Sorry. Footwear, footwear. So when you walk across the desert, you know, especially uh-huh. climbing on sand dune. You know, the yeah. sand, gets, sand gets into your shoe and rub, blister, everything. You know, when I was walk, uh, watching those ultra uh, desert yeah. rides, right? So how, yeah. how do you all uh, compensate for that? Or you all just tight your shoes super tight? Or, or what do you all do? 
Okay, so I went with hiking shoes and I felt like I was the most comfortable out of the whole group because most of them went with just normal um, running shoes, like track shoes. Okay. Uh, if you have a good pair of waterproof hiking boots um, that are cooling because it's going to be quite hot during the day, uh, I recommend you use that. Also, if you can bring along um, hiking sandals, that would be ideal. That's uh, what I think. Uh. But if not, track shoes are fine. Uh, specifically for climbing the sand dunes, we actually found it easier to just take off our shoes and socks and climb with our feet. Oh, barefoot. Is uh, it really hot? It's not that bad. Oh. In most areas, it's kind of shaded because we chose like the shaded side to climb up because if not, it would be like, just blazing hot sun the entire time. And we went close to sundown because we were um, aiming to reach the top when the sun was setting, if you can see from the videos. And... Um, Think of it like when you're on the beach, right, and you're walking across the sand, mm. it's actually easier to walk barefoot than it is to walk with like slippers or shoes. So it's the same kind of feeling. Yeah. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Wow, oh, this one happening. Yeah. Mm. I'm having my trip. Okay. Uh, you should, you should do it. Yeah. Um, now is around the best time. Like your peak tourist period is between... Uh, July to September, I think, or June to September, uh, specifically because there's this festival that goes on called the Nadam Festival that we were um, that we went there specifically to see before we went on the eight day trip. So it's kind of like their national day where they have all the traditional sports like archery, horse racing, um, knucklebone throwing. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Yeah, so uh, you have to go pretty far out of the city to get to the horse racing oh, thing, wow. but it's like about an hour's drive or so. Super, super cool though. So, so if now is the peak period, right? So is it like super mm. touristy, super crowded over there right now? Oh, I mean the period that we were there? Yeah, so for that weekend that we were there, um, initially we, came, we went a little bit before the festival. It wasn't that bad. Like the hotel only basically had us oh, and maybe another uh, group. Okay. Um, but as soon as the festival hit, then we started to see a lot of tourists come in. And we saw a lot of tourists going out to the Gobi Desert as well. When we were talking to our tour guide, right, mm. her tours were basically back-to-back. -back. Oh. Uh, she had just she came to meet us right after finishing another tour group the day before, so she was super shagged. And then after we finished, she went off to meet another tour group to start their tour. Oh, very hardcore. Yeah, it's super high season. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Wow, okay, okay, happening. Okay, this is definitely going to, I'm, I'm going to plan it. Because next week, uh, I'm head, heading to Melbourne. Uh, but I was oh, thinking nice. of doing the podcast there also. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm heading sure. for Mel Melbourne to do some road trip driving with, uh, nice. yeah, with Legion. Then we'll see what are the awesome. adventures that I have over there. Yeah, tell us the story when you're back, man. <laughs> Uh, and while we are on yeah, this, a drone. <laughs> uh, yes, now Chris is doing drone rental, so you can look for him on Carousel. He's renting it. What's your rate? Yes, uh, I haven't decided yet. Actually, so I need to go and check. But oh. yeah, the drone was actually pretty awesome. Um, it took me a while to get familiar with it because this was the first time that I'm really flying it. But in Mongolia, it was very. It's so big. You know, you don't have any worry of running into people or anything. So it was. It was nice. You'll see some of the videos. I get a lot more confident with the drone towards the end. So, yeah. Oh, uh, I'm sure this question, right, uh, when it comes to renting drone, everyone will have. Uh, not, about yeah. the, not about the compensation, but more of... Uh, um, so, when you have a drone with you, right, is it troublesome? Because it's like a box. Um, I got a carrying case uh, from the guy that I bought it from. So, it was actually quite easy for me to carry around the controller and the drone. Uh, it's really quite small. Like you can fit it at the bottom of your bag and still have a lot of space to put other things. It's maybe the size of a tablet plus oh. a little bit tall. Yeah. So yours is the DJI Mavic Pro. So if someone, right. so let's say now I'm tempted. So if I get a Spark, right, DJI Spark, yeah. then it will be even smaller yeah. and can keep it in the bag. So okay, I'm just gonna find out. Right, the body of the DJI Spark is the size of your iPhone. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Oh, and it's the uh, 1080p, correct? Correct. So, so the difference uh, between the Mavic Pro and the Spark is the Spark only goes up to 1080p, uh, whereas the Mavic Pro can record up to 4K video. Uh, 
in terms of battery life as well, the Mavic lasts a bit longer on a single battery, and I believe the range is a little bit further. But I, I was looking at the Spark, I kind of feel like it, it's good enough for a consumer, and I might pick one up later on just oh. for like my own personal use and stuff. Yeah. You are becoming a full-fledged drone renter. <laughs> you yes. can come to drone rental. You can have Mavic Pro or you can choose $300 <laughs> per week. I don't know anyhow food is offered. But yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Mavic Pro is kind of pricey and that's, that's the main thing. Like I don't know. I need to figure out like what the cost will be for the deposit and stuff like that because if it's damaged, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a pain to get it repaired. So, mm. Yeah. It's pretty pricey. We'll see. Uh, Anywho, uh, shall we jump into the articles for this week? Uh, yes. Do we do the... Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, which one do we want to do first? Let's uh, maybe talk about the motivation one first. How about that? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you can. Okay, so I'll give a quick introduction. Um, over the past week or so, I've seen a few people kind of share this article, but I only really got to read it uh, last night. Uh, it's an article by a ex-fighter pilot. He said that he spent 23 years as an elite fighter pilot and it taught me that motivation is meaningless. Mm-hmm. So, uh, did you get a chance to read this article? Mm, no. <laughs> but I read the okay, book. So, yeah. Okay, okay. So, I'll quickly summarize it for you. So, this guy was uh, a pilot for the Marine Corps in the US, right? And a lot of the times, uh, a lot of what his article says is that you know, motivation is uh, well and good because a lot of times, you know, we hear these things like we need to find motivated employees, we need to find people who are passionate and stuff like that. But he says that motivation is meaningless. Um, discipline is actually what you're looking for. Uh, I don't fully agree with that. I think it has to be a very good mix of both. But at the same time, I get the discipline part because that's really what. Uh, is very, very important for resilience. Mm. Yeah. So in the article, it kind of goes through that, you know, there's this sniper who sat out on the ridge for uh, a whole week or even longer than that, not moving. And the only reason why he did that was not because he's motivated, but because he was trained to be very disciplined, which is why, like, in the military, in the Marines, um, they really drill in that, you know, your uniform has to be... Uh, straight, your bid has to be made, everything is all about discipline to make sure that your mind can kind of um, handle whatever kinds of challenges because of your discipline, not because you're passionate about something. Yeah, so that's the gist of the entire article. You can relate this very well, right, because you're a scout. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, sure. I don't know, but for me, uh, I, I'm sure for all national service people, they can, we can certainly yeah. relate the part on the discipline, like uh, making sure all our staff are tidy, all our equipment Correct. are in place and we are all ready to roll out, right? But uh, I'm just thinking for the example alone, can, can you relate better? Because for, for me, like I'm a combat engineer, I don't actually stay in a place for a prolonged number of time or I also yeah. don't do like... Uh, Scouting because we can't in we come in we are kind of like support right we come in after or right in the right, middle of right. the action. Uh, you, uh, your vocation is slightly different. You are kind of need to go out first and do all the stuff. So I'm sure you relate better. Uh, definitely in the sense that there are a lot of uh, scenarios where we just come to a point where we're just like, why the fuck are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> this is so painful. <laughs> That's yes, the yes, whole yes, point. Yes. But then, like, you kind of, if you kind of really think about it in terms of, like, a combat setting or something, right? Mm. There is a lot of shit that you need to get done. Mm-hmm. It's not glamorous. It's not, like, something that you're passionate about. But you have to do it if not someone else will suffer. Mm-hmm. Right? And the only thing that really drives you to be able to do it and get through it, right, is your discipline to be able to say, like, all right, this is what needs to be done. I will do it step one, step two, step three, and get it completed. Mm. And that's all discipline. That's all you saying that, all right, I'm going to get this done and you get it done. Mm. None of it is motivation. None of it is passion. It's Mm. just straight up determination to do it, which stems from the discipline of, you know, even if you don't like it, you're disciplined enough to sit down and get it done immediately. Yeah. 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 I, okay. So, uh, I glanced through, uh, while you were speaking Mm. earlier and giving me a summary and towards the end, uh, it had 
it has a statement like, uh, if you want someone who will do tedious, tangless, and essential work, find someone who is disciplined. And also, yeah. it also highlighted what you say, like motivation is a good quality, but it's not the most important. Hire people who are disciplined. Actually, for me, uh, my personal view, I think uh, in a certain way, he is quite true. <laughs> that discipline is much more important than uh, motivation. Yeah. Because at a, at a certain stage when your uh, jobs get less exciting or you are well-versed in your job, and uh, but you still need to do it, right? And you are still doing it because of mainly because of two reasons. One, you are disciplined because this is an instruction. You, it's not exactly disciplined, but you are responsible because this yeah. task falls on you. You continue yeah, to exactly. do that. And, uh, and the second one will be, uh, of course, other various reasons like monetary reasons and all. But I think discipline and responsibility comes hand in hand. And they need to, they need to be more than motivation. How, how should I put this? For, for example, when I hire, or if I hire mm. uh, now, yeah. I will look for someone who is more responsible and disciplined mm. over yeah. much more than talented. motivation. Or, or talented, yes. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, the word. Correct. Yeah. I think responsibility, mm-hmm. uh, when you give him a task, when you give him a project, you can hold him to it. A person correct. with talent, but has no responsibility, is <laughs> just going to do a bad thing. Yeah, you can't rely on them, things will fall behind. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of issues that if you don't have the discipline to do it, and that's right, like, it's something that we don't really talk about because mm. we all kind of want to think about the startup life as being glamorous, as being, like, you know, exciting all the time, and that's what keeps you going for 12-hour, 16-hour uh, kind of days, but that's not true. <laughs> because at some point, confirm you get tired. Confirm yeah. you feel spin out. And... The only thing that will keep you going, right, is that, all right, in order to succeed, in order to break that barrier, mm-hmm. you grind. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. And there are, there are some cases where I guess, you know, um, if you look at it, okay, sorry, let me backtrack a bit. No I kind of think, like, motivation is your reason for doing it, and discipline is your willpower to see it succeed. Mm. Because you can have a lot of passionate ideas, cool ideas, that you really believe in and are super awesome, right? Mm. But then when it comes to executing it, it really is a grind. It really is like sitting down, planning, and making sure that everything's in place, uh, checking on it every day to make sure that um, everything that you're doing is in line with what your vision is. Mm -hmm. And the motivation is, it comes from seeing the end goal, but getting there, like making sure that day to day, you keep on walking up to that peak, that top of that sand dune, right? That's all willpower that's all discipline yeah and and i i want to touch on the part that you you share about like um on the startup one right actually uh-huh. uh only the starting looks very glamorous when you are announcing you are launching and this is your idea this is how you are going to execute but in the in the middle where the operation is running right there's a lot of mandate work yeah, <laughs> and you yeah. need to grind through that mandate work and during that phase right you could you will lose your motivation, but you need the discipline and because uh, you are also responsible for your team members, so you use that to grind it through. Correct, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and that's, that's 100% it. But at the same time, you wouldn't start it if you didn't have the motivation in the first place. True, true, so, true. Like, to me, you have to believe in the goal of what you want to do so that you know where is it that you want to end up. Because you can keep grinding day after day after day after day, right? Mm. But if you don't know what's at the end of it, yeah, as much discipline as you have, you will never feel like you're succeeding, yes. which is also equally important to me. True. That I, uh, that I agree. Yeah. So I think this, uh, when I glance through and I hear from you, right, uh, I do think that in, yeah, like I said earlier on, one of the things I will look for is responsibility. But the challenge here is how do I, Hmm, how do I assess someone's responsibility? Do I ask him questions? Do I say, oh, what were the projects that you have done before? What's your role? Uh, so if I throw this question at you, right? So if you're to hire, how will you assess mm-hmm. someone's discipline or responsibility? That is a very good question. And usually that's honestly something you can only tell if you talk to people who have worked with them before or 
you give them probation for three months or so, stuff like that. And that's really the entire purpose of the probation, right? The internship and stuff. Mm. is to see what the character of the person is because the interview can only tell you so much. Mm. Yeah. So I fully believe like in working with people for a while and then keeping the good people and you know, not working with those that are not responsible who are not trustworthy. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. I'm thinking is there, is there any test uh, or something? This one I do look up on. <laughs> because they have tests to... Um, they have technical tests to test for knowledge, hard skills, and all. But soft right. skills, in terms of like this responsibility, discipline, are you a disciplined person? I think maybe mm. the Nairo question can help, but still, uh, I agree with you. Most of it mm. rounds down to the probation because when you work with someone, you are able to assess them better. Oh, actually, I know how. Oh, Tell them how? to take a picture of their room. <laughs> oh, really? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense. <laughs> so that is a good hack. That is a good hack. So when people is applying, you're right. And they will send everything, you'll shortlist and say, could you also send me a picture of a room? Yeah. Uh, see if they are disciplined enough. Mm. Mm, or maybe a picture of their laundry basket. Because my laundry basket that is sitting beside me right now is going quite high. <laughs> time, time to do your chores right? see you need discipline to do your chores every week yeah, yes without discipline I think my uh, my laundry basket is gonna overflow yeah but that's actually a good example right like you don't want to live in a house where everything is messy your laundry hasn't been done for one month you haven't you know sweep vacuumed or mopped the floor for two weeks three weeks it's 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 stuff that you just need to get done but it's not very nice. Yeah. Mm, I agree. So, yeah. I would like to jump on. We segue mm-hmm. to the product manager. Product management uh, or product manager. How to be a good... Oh, making good decisions as a good product manager. Mm. Yeah. So, I, I think you relate to this article a lot more. And I really liked it um, because of like the concepts that it came in. Because uh, product manager or just generally anyone who is in a decision-making position right mm-hmm. uh you don't know right you don't know whether or not you're making a good decision or when to make the decision so yeah why don't you tell me a little bit about how you think about this or you know what's your life like as a product manager mm. making decisions yeah uh okay so here's the thing inside this article right this uh, media article it talks about uh the, so this guy he's the product director from shopify uh, previously uh-huh. from Freshbook. So he talks about, in this article, he talks about uh, how he applies a framework uh, to making good decisions. Like mm. why, why the team exists, the general approach, uh, the, the strategy and the vision, uh, yeah. and prioritization, and what's the smaller things that can build to achieve the impact. So these are some of the questions he, uh, he tries to answer before making a decision. And uh-huh. there's a framework for it. So for me, when I, when I as a, uh, PM now, TPM now, uh, mm-hmm. for me to make a decision, uh, I don't actually quite, uh, I don't go through a framework. Uh, mm-hmm. But there, there, there are three leading metrics mm, that, uh, that I use. Does it, mm. impact, uh, does it impact NMV? Does it impact conversion rate? Does it impact NPS? So these are the three things that I look for. Yeah. Right, right, uh, right. It's, uh, I think, this framework is general enough, the one that is in the media article, the, the mm-hmm. framework is general enough to cut across all sectors that is, uh, you can right. be a program manager in a tech company, in a logistic company, in, uh, it can cut across. But, okay, um, um, Brian, can you quickly describe the framework? Oh, the framework that he's using? Yeah. Oh, the framework that he's using, he has, uh, okay, so importance of a decision, he has a framework, right? So mm-hmm. uh, he has, Three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, seven things that you look for. Uh, investment mm. of resources, which is talking about people, money, or time. Uh, that's the mm-hmm. first row. That's the second row is the impact of a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third one is impact of a negative outcome. And within the yeah. third row, there are four elements to it: uh, the yeah, brands right. and company reputation, existing or mm. future customer, code base mm. system, and liabilities. So yeah. if, if you look at this, uh, it starts from, uh, all these roles starts from uh, low, which is easy to do, to hard, 
uh, hard to do or hard to undo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, give you an example. For example, for example, you want to change a sign up text link on the homepage. Mm-hmm. You want to change. Yeah. You want to change the wording. So the investment yeah. of resources, which is time, money, uh, and people, is low. The mm-hmm. impact of the positive outcome could be incremental. Cannot be. We cannot say that it is going to be company changing. So yeah, yeah. what is the impact of the negative outcome? Brand and company reputation affecting it low. Uh, affecting existing and future customer me medium or medium to low. Uh, mm-hmm. Affecting code base or the system itself low. Affecting mm-hmm. uh, liability or legal, which is also low. So for example, in, in this case, this will give you a scenario that changing a sign up link uh, will give you a overall importance of low. Now, mm. uh, this is uh, clearly a low importance decision. So when you are comparing against other feature set, then uh, you with this framework, right, you can assess and you can also explain why you decided to put this in the second quarter or the third quarter, like this Correct. kind of thing. Uh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like how um, you know for the investment of resources and the positive outcome, it is uh, very simple. It's between uh, very low impact to very high impact, mm-hmm. and then. Specifically for the negative outcome, if things screw up, right? Mm. Uh, that is a lot more detailed. They break it down into the sub uh, groups depending on your company or your product. Mm. And that's really interesting because if you think about it, you are doing this particular thing because there is a benefit, right? And you know that benefit is to your product as a whole. But then um, what happens if it's if people don't take it well? Mm. That's... Uh, that's a lot more important in terms of your decision making because you always want positive, right? You always want, no matter what kind of um, uh, positive impact, you always want it. Whereas you're, you should be a lot more concerned about what could go wrong if you don't make this decision properly. Yeah, and uh, I think the framework, the interesting, the only element that I, uh, that I find very interesting about this framework is he, it looks into the negative outcome, like you say. Yeah. Most yeah. of us when most of us when we are making decisions, right, we'll think if we implement this, oh, these are the good things gonna happen. If we do this, these are the good things gonna happen. We mm, I don't know, it's just human. We don't like to talk about bad things, we don't like to talk about negative things. If we do this, the worst case is gonna be this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and actually Which some... is actually a lot more important in decision making, right? Because you're you're at a baseline. Yeah. If you don't if you don't improve, that's okay. Mm. But if you go backwards when you make this decision, that's where things it becomes a bad decision. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Maybe I should put this into my consideration too. What is the worst thing that can happen? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> or what is the negative outcome if we don't do this? Yeah. Yeah. That that's a good decision point also. Uh, mm, but yeah, yeah. Um, in a bigger company, I think uh, sometimes. So if you are from okay, so right now my experience working in a corporate uh, <laughs> corporate startup, I I don't know how we will put it uh, But in a startup, when a startup is small, uh, five uh-huh. six people, everyone has yeah. the same. Everyone is aligned. Everyone mm. when making decision, uh, let's say let's say uh, taking this framework into the picture. Everyone will think that what's the worst that can happen, what a positive impact and all. Uh, decisions are not actually easily sweet because there are no individual departments. However, in a corporate, right, even though when we look at such a uh, framework that help us justify our uh, decision making, um, mm-hmm. every individual product category manager, right, Will have their own KPI that they have put that that they that affect their own decision. Mm, how how would I put this? I'm saying that this is a good framework. It is good to use in a startup scenario. Mm-hmm. I don't actually I, I don't actually know how to use it in a corporate scenario. Right, right, right. Yeah, because because in all these things that he talks about, like people, money, time, the resources yeah. and all. There is yeah. one element like when okay, so I am supporting okay a certain portfolio. Mm-hmm. I will try 
knowing that I have these resources to support my portfolio, uh, my decision is a little bit sweet when you want to implement features that touch on my portfolio. Mm. Okay. I don't know if you understand right. what I'm trying to say. <laughs> my decision um, is affected. It might not uh, be the exact. So even if this... Yeah. You have constraints to your yeah, decision making. Right? Yeah, correct. So for yeah. example, if this, if this framework tells me, yes, this is the top priority decision, this will go. But understanding mm -hmm. that I'm from this portfolio, right, I may not be so supportive. Okay, so I think I think that's actually a separate discussion because what this framework is for is determining how much effort you should put into deciding ah. for this decision. It's not to prioritize whether or not this uh, decision should be, or whether this feature request or whatever it is uh, needs to be done first. Yeah, because all this framework does is tell you like, okay, uh, how much time you need to spend making a decision on whether or not to do this or not. Mm, mm, mm. Priority is a separate question. Ah, okay, 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 okay. Mm. Misunderstand that part. Yeah, because if you notice, like, the way that the framework is worded, right, is that the importance of this decision. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Now I mm. see. Oh, okay, but uh, to, to this part, right, he has a... So I just signed up with his... He has a newsletter called the Black Box of Product Management. Uh, mm. People might like to sign up with it. This is a media article right, right. that I'll post it up. Uh, I want to share one more thought that I learned throughout all this month. Yeah. Mm. Documentation is my good yes. friend. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yes. Wow. Documentation. Wow, my God. Uh, so, you know, in the past, I never truly uh, focused a lot in documentation. I mean, uh -huh. yeah. Everything, everyone is just around. I five, six, seven people. You can just ask, yeah. you know. Yeah. Wow, but uh, in a bigger organization, uh, yeah. things are being implemented. People, people come, people go, uh -huh. and what is being implemented, nobody knows. <laughs> and documentation okay. is your good friend. So that's that's very interesting because um, very like over the past couple of months when I've been running ship, right? Yeah. I almost want to coin a new term called documentation-driven development. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Okay, so reason being this, right? Oh, DDD, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it is kind of dumb, <laughs> to be honest. But the whole idea here is that your design needs to be documented. Your tests will come from your documentations because your documentations will de determine what kind of development needs to be done. So let's talk about what are the different components you need when you're starting out a product, right? You need yeah. the initial uh, user stories, which is documentation. Uh, from these user stories, you will get wireframes, which will follow that documentation. From these wireframes, you can then start to think about your API, which needs to be documented, and your mockups, which will stem from the wireframes. And your assets will come from the mockups. And these assets will be determined, what assets you export will be determined by the kind of documentation that you do for your overall design to make sure you don't miss anything out. Finally, uh, when you move on to the development phase, the tests will come from your specifications, from your user stories. Your development of features will also stem uh, from, you know, your user, your user flows, which will say like, okay, um, this feature will cover user stories one, two, and three, which is all documented. You will use the APIs which have been documented by the kind of information that you know that the wireframes are going to need for each screen. Mm. And finally, like when you want to integrate your test with your actual code, it will have to satisfy the user stories. Like essentially, your test cases are your user stories. So like everything seems to come from a original document of what the user stories are and what your wireframes are and what your API is mm. going to look like. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's not like you can you can't really start test driven development without knowing what the documentations are. You can't really start like behavior driven development if you don't know what your user stories are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really, so really, everything really. comes from having good documentation at the start, and that's what I've been trying to implement in Ship, and it works out pretty well because even my API endpoints are generated from my documentation. 
and if I can generate my tests in Postman with the documentation, that's even better. Because I just update one place. I think you should totally coin this term fast. <laughs> DDD! You, you, you heard it here first. Yeah, Triple here it is. Yeah, yeah. DDD! You don't need double Ds, guys. Triple Ds is the way to go. Yeah, documentation should be the start of everything. Or mm, Test-driven development. Uh, I, I mean, the term is correct, but I, I, I agree. DDD. Yeah. So test-driven development, yeah. if you update your test, it will flow into your development, but it won't update your documentation. It's something you need to do outside of your flow. Yeah. yeah. Oh Whereas my. if you do it as like a documentation, if your documentation changes, your test will fail. Mm. So you automatically update your test. And you update your test, you have to update your code. Mm. Yeah. And if your tests are generated from your documentation, right, then you, you don't have to update twice. So, yeah. Everything grounds down to documentation. Yeah, this yeah. Uh, this one important, super important thing I learned. And next time when I start, everything will start with documentation, so that when someone comes in, uh, besides all these uh, benefits right that you talk about, like uh, everything prelude to documentation. Uh, mm. when when people are moving in and out, or uh, yeah. in a startup when people are joining joining, they can take a week yeah. or two to read through what. Wow, was the initial startup process uh, like or Correct. the product idea yeah. was and how it eventually evolved and uh, what are the goals and feature sets. Wow, it's so clear for them. Correct. Yeah, and ultimately, um, documentation tools nowadays really suck. That's the problem right now, right? The documentation for APIs is really hard to keep maintained. Mm. Um, if it's, and honestly, like if it isn't uh, something that you enforce, people will just update the actual endpoints and say like, okay, this is what you require, I'll update the documentation later. But that's that's always going to be a problem, right? Mm. That's always going to be a problem because you'll never have a priority to update your documentation and things will go out of sync. Mm. So if you make that your first step, then everyone will never get confused. Everyone will always follow the same uh, documents because they're not going to read through your code unless they really have to. Mm. So, hey, I got a question. Yeah. What documentation mm. tools are you using? Okay, so there are a few that I've identified that I really, really like. Uh, in terms of APIs, um, I use Swagger. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you can check it out. Uh, Swagger UI, I think, if you Google for that, you should be able to find it. It's for APIs. You uh, you write out your API um, definition in a YAML format or JSON format. Mm -hmm. And based on that, you can generate your server, you can generate your... Uh, model code and stuff like that. Uh, for my database structure and stuff like that, I use a Mac app called SQL Editor. Uh, you can use any SQL Editor, but the whole idea is to make sure that you have a entity relationship diagram at any point of time. For um, design, I'm still working out the flow, but I kind of settled on Sketch as my main wireframing to mock-up mm -hmm. development. Everything else I kind of just do on paper or I do as a you know, like a notebook kind of thing. But for documenting the entire process, um, I use Sketch. I How do you use craft. Sketch to do documenting? Oh, so you write it by the site? Ah, yeah. So that's the thing. There's, uh, there's a plugin. I can't remember the name right now. Um, I'll send you the link later. Uh -huh. But there's a, there's a plugin that allows me to create like little hotspots on, uh, on certain elements to kind of document like what does the element do why does it do it that way? Oh, and the reason why I like Sketch is because it's um, integrated with Craft from InVision. So even if I want to do um, interactive prototypes, uh, it's all very nicely uh, documented and maintained by the Craft plugin. And if I need to do animations, I use Principle, which also takes the assets from Sketch, which is why everything just originates from the original Sketch file. And now in the latest version of Sketch, if you're still subscribed to them as a license, right, you can have Git flows in them. So you can actually maintain several versions of the Sketch file without having to maintain several separate files. So it's really like come to the point where it fits into my development workflow very well. Uh, and I'm in the process of writing out like a full blog post of how I do this as a developer based on all the tools that I've kind of tested out. So, oh, wow, you yeah. should. I didn't know Sketch already have Git. 
Yeah, uh, latest version has it. So, oh wow! Okay, 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 um, okay. Yeah, you can check it out. It's it's a very basic implementation, but it's good enough because I find like the symbols and the pages and stuff like that is how I think about the assets at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So it forces me to maintain a very clean structure. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Oh wow! I'm very impressed with the. Yeah, but it's all about workflow, like, at the end of the day. So mm. if you have good documentation and workflow, then uh, you save yourself a lot of pain in the future when you need to change stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Now, a good segue away from the workflow. This time around, uh-huh. I want to ask you, um, so what did we talk about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Photos app. Earlier on, we wanted to talk about, but I forget. Mm. Yeah, so you sign up with Google Photos, right? Yeah, and so I was, after TV. this trip. Yeah. Yeah, after the trip, I was kind of wondering how should I share all our trip photos and stuff with um, the people who went on the trip. Lah. Right. So I kind of figured that, you know, some of us use Android phone, some of us use iPhone. Um, initially, I used to use Photos and iCloud to sync up everything, but then I kind of decided it's really hard for me to share that with um, Android users. Uh-huh. So I switched over to using Google Photos. Uh-huh. Um, it's really great for creating shared albums and just to like, make it accessible on all your devices. The good thing is that even if you're using iPhone or using Android, there is a Google Photos app that will allow you to sync up all your media and remove it from your device, but it's still accessible in the cloud. And that was key for me because my iPhone was constantly getting full because of all the apps and all the photos that I had on it. So yeah, that was that was uh, the solution and everything. So, I ended up paying for the 100 gigabyte uh, monthly subscription, which is, I think, about $4 a month or something quite cheap. But also because I just recently got a new LG Android phone, I'm back to Android, guys. Uh, It gave me a free 100 gigabytes for two years. So I'm like, all right, I can just stop that subscription next month. Yeah. Welcome back. Uh No, no, no. You are in the dark side. (laughs) So I, I kind of like this Android phone, uh, two reasons. It's got dual SIM, so I can handle like my uh, work line and my personal line on the same device. Um, yeah, and I'm remembering all the automation stuff that I used to do with my old Samsung phone. And I like it, yeah. it uh, until the point where it stops working, which seems to happen with Android phones after a year or so. Uh, they stop maintaining it, so that's always the issue. What's the what's the model again? Sorry, LG. Uh, I got the LG K10. It's about a year old in terms of the model itself. Oh, but okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so far, so far, it's still okay. I haven't flashed the ROM yet. Um, usually by updating it to the latest ROM, you can extend the shelf life for a little bit longer. But uh, for now, I'm not bothering to just yet. Mm. Ah, yep, yep, I'm yep. still thinking. I'm on. I'm on. Uh iCloud Drive, I am on the 200GB. Yes, the photo sharing part is a little bit painful right now. I mean, between me and my uh, family, it's okay because everyone is on iPhone. So you just need to share album, right? The challenge here comes when you have friends who are on Android. And uh, sharing the photos with them is a little bit hard. Yeah, so yeah, that's why I ended up choosing Google Photos because you can even share the link and people can see it and uh, it's easy enough to create a shared album for everyone can contribute to. Whereas for iCloud, it's it's your own personal store. Yeah, it's a bit I, harder to share. I don't know why iCloud sharing is not less flexible. That's number one. Second, mm. I got a question. How come you don't want to use the free one? What free one? Free, that means Google Photo itself is also considered free. You can have oh. unlimited storage, just that the unlimited storage, the photos are locked at certain yeah. resolution. So actually, I'm using that, um, but my videos are pretty big. So, oh, uh, so yeah. what happens for those uh, 4K video you upload if you use the free? Do you happen to know? It's just string down to one. It'll downsize. Video. Yeah, it'll downsize to 1080, but I also wanted to create the, uh, keep the raw files anyway, so that's what I'm using the 100 gigs for. Ah, I see. Yeah. I see so I see. if you're happy with 1080 and if you're going to share it and stuff, it's going to be downsized on Facebook and Instagram or YouTube anyway. Mm. So if you're okay with that, go ahead. But um, for me, I use it for work. I already maxed out my 15 gig for emails and stuff somehow. I don't know oh, how. But wow. yeah. For me, it made sense to do the 100 gig, but... If you're fine with 15, that should be more than enough. 
Then another question, how do you manage, uh, how do you manage, so for example, right now, let's say, ABC at Gmail is your personal account. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Chris mm. at Ship is another account. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm guessing, if I'm not wrong, you told me earlier on, ABC at Gmail is the one that you purchased the 100 GB. Correct? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So I use my personal account to purchase. Yeah. Uh, but mainly because... Then your work yeah, will be taking a lot more storage, right? Because ship will have more prototype files, will have more yeah. uh, photos and all. So I don't pay for uh, GFs. We are using Zoho for our work mail and stuff like that. So ultimately, I only really have one Gmail account that I can tie to my G drive. Oh, you mean all the information flows back to your personal account? Yeah, correct. Ah, this is an interesting workflow because I have been, I have a um, GApp account and I uh-huh. have a personal account. So uh-huh. when I was thinking, when I was contemplating which, uh, which, okay, so if I want to buy the 100 gig uh, mm. Google Photos, which account yeah. should I buy for? <laughs> yeah, I ultimately, like, I was thinking of that decision as well. But to me, my personal usage is pretty much tied with my work since I'm you know, consulting and freelancing a lot of the time. So I might as well just tie it with that. I can still separate it by who gets access to what shared folder and that's how I manage it. Um, so, ah, yeah. Okay, okay, I understand, I understand. Mm, this is a... I need to look into this. I think it's quite interesting because yeah. I'm also stuck at the part where I'm sharing with other friends the photos. Yeah, that's the biggest challenge. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I think one... we should wrap this up because I kind of need to pee as well. <laughs> oh, okay. Because I wanted to ask about Prime, but we will do it next week. Yeah, I think we can talk about that next week as well. It's pretty long. Mm, okay. okay. Cool. Yeah. So I guess if you guys want to find more, more about us, uh, is our site still up? <laughs> yes, our site is always up. Mm. Yeah, you can go to launchbite.com. Com. Yeah. yeah, and you can also check out our Facebook, which is facebook.com slash launchbite. Yes. Um, Brian, where can we find your personal stuff? You can find me on uh, Twitter, but I don't think I use it anymore. Please find me on Instagram. Uh, the, the tag is bybosslee, B-Y-B-O-S-S-L-E-E. Okay, yeah, and you can find me on Twitter as well at A-N-T-T-Y-C or Facebook at facebook.com slash chrischai and also on Instagram at A-N-T-T-Y-C. So, yeah. Uh, yes. That oh, one, one thing to add very fast. Must visit mm-hmm. Chris Instagram for the drone fo- videos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, I'm going to be posting like a lot more stuff on my Europe trip and my uh, Mongolia trip over the next few weeks. I post once a day. So, yeah. got a nice little backlog that I will post. <laughs> okay. Yes, support, like. Subscribe. Yes. yes. <laughs> Alright, thanks guys, and okay. we will catch you next week. Bye bye.